Hello, welcome to the Luke Tullock podcast. My name is Luke Tullock and I will be hosting you again today. It's been a long time between drinks for the podcast, basically a lot of stuff going on in the background that kept me away from the microphone over here, a lot of content creation going on in the meantime, but we're back on board. And today I have a very exciting episode for you. So I'm going to talk a bit more about training intensity today. Uh, there are a few little things that we want to get into on there. And the reason why I'm going to kick this off by doing some training talk is because I do have some upcoming material coming out. Uh, very exciting stuff. I know a lot of you have been waiting a long time for this. And so I thought, well, I'll give out some information for free and see if you like it. Now, before we get stuck into the episode, what I would like you to do is please visit my Instagram if you would like to, underscore Luke Tullick. Please uh, share this episode with your friends if you think they might benefit from it as well and give me a rating because that really helps me out. Okay, let's get straight into it. Now, to start with, I would like to dis just define intensity to begin with because people usually use intensity to describe how difficult something feels when they're training. Uh, we think of an intense training session, obviously, as something that was very difficult. But in resistance training, which is what I'm going to speak about uh, today, I'm not going to really talk about endurance or conditioning today. Uh, we use the words intensity to describe how much load is actually on the bar or how close to failure we have gotten. So those are two distinct definitions, and I'm going to address the first one first. The first instance where we talk about how much load is actually on the bar is called absolute intensity. And it's sometimes referred to as intensity of load. I usually say intensity of load because it actually tells you what it is. So it tells you how much weight is on the bar. We often express this as a percentage of a rep max. So you might say percentage of one RM. Uh, you might say a percentage of your other RMs, but that's not very commonly used. Uh, so a one RM would be your one rep max. It's the absolute most weight you can lift for one repetition. A percentage of your one RM then tells you what percentage of that weight to use. So you might say, I want you to do five reps at 70% of your one RM for a given lift. Um, now, the other way you can also talk to uh, refer to intensity of load is by using various rep maxes. So you don't necessarily have to refer to your one rep max. You could refer to your three rep max or five rep max which makes this system a little bit more usable for some lifts where you don't actually have any data on what your one rep max is. Now, the other way of gauging intensity that I mentioned is intensity of effort. This is also called relative intensity, and it describes how close to failure we got with a specific load. Now, the load here is not important, whereas in the first instance, the intensity of load, we're referring to how much weight is actually physically on the bar. In talking about intensity of effort, we don't necessarily care how much weight is on the bar. We care how close to failure we got with that load. There's two main ways that this is referred to in the industry at the moment. The first way is using an RPE scale, which stands for rate of perceived exertion. How hard did you perceive that to be? How close to failure did you perceive yourself to be? So usually this is rated on a scale of one to 10. Um, a 10 would be failure, nine would be I had one rep left in me, eight would be I have two reps left in me, and so on and so forth. Usually it's not usable past like a, maybe a six RPE um, because it just starts to get a bit silly then. Uh, 
so that's a little bit counterintuitive for a lot of people. And so the reps in reserve concept was born. And this is the other way of describing intensity of effort that I think is a little bit more elegant. So reps in reserve simply refers to how many more reps do you have in the tank? How many more reps could you have done in that set? And so simply saying a, uh, you know, two reps in reserve means I could have done two more reps. And so it's a little bit more of a direct way of referring to RPE. It's the same thing, but it's just referred to in a bit more of a direct way. Now, each of these methods has its pros and cons. So non, one is not better than the other, and it really depends. So let's talk about intensity of load again. Again, this is where we're talking about our percentage of one rep max or our RMs. So we can either estimate or actually test the one rep max. Now, most strength athletes or perhaps even uh, athletes in their strength and conditioning programs for other sports uh, would actually test one RMs to gauge where they're at and to see if any progress has been made. And then that one rep max can be used for prescribing the next, you know, loads for the, tr the following tr training phase. Uh, so it is traditionally been used for strength training. And the major upside with this is that it's an objective way to prescribe load. There's no escaping if you've lifted an actual one rep max, then that's how much weight you can actually physically lift. You can also estimate the one rep max. Uh, there are some formulae out there and you may be able to work out what your one rep max might be if you lift say a three rep max or something like that. But it does have some major downsides doing this method. One RM is really difficult to estimate or to actually produce for many movements like isolation exercises or machine work. It's not a good idea to try and perform a one rep max for a bicep curl or something similar to that. Uh, the other problem is that one rep max uh, estimations vary quite a lot between individuals and they vary quite a lot between lifts. So there are strength charts, like I mentioned, that would give you an estimate. So if you lifted, say, your 70% one RM for as many reps as possible uh, and then got that figure and, and try to stick it into a formula, different people are going to get different results. And in the same individual between different lifts and different muscle groups, you're going to get different results. So 1RM varies quite a lot between individuals. The strength charts don't really apply equally to all exercises and all trainees. And to give you an example of that, in one study subjects were actually asked to do as many reps as possible with 70% of their 1RM. I believe this was on a bench press and the range on this was between nine reps and 26 reps. So we have an incredible range there and that's very difficult to standardize. So yes, okay, if you do actually test for a one rep max, you have some objective data that you can use. It's not subjective whatsoever. However, that data is not really gonna be that helpful unless you've actually physically tested somebody. Now, intensity of effort is a little bit different. Intensity of effort is where we're using these RPE scales or the reps and reserve model. So. You can actually, I mentioned before a scale of one to 10 with RPE, uh, you tend to find that you could sometimes be in this uh, gray zone. So for example, an RPE of 10 is supposed to be a one rep max. You could do no more reps, you could do no more load with that. That's your absolute maximum. Um, what I've come to sort of be in a position of is occasionally you would prescribe a RPE of nine, meaning you could maybe only do one more rep. Um, but sometimes you, feel like there could be maybe a little bit more load in there. So sometimes using something like a 9.5 rating would mean that you could do no more reps, but you could maybe do a little bit more load. 
Um, you know, so there is a little bit of gray area when we're talking about intensity of effort and RPE or reps and reserve models. Um, especially on lighter loads, I tend to find that using an RPE or a reps and reserve can be very difficult for many people to gauge how far away from failure they actually are. Um, so the advantage of this system is that it's really useful because it doesn't really matter how much weight you're actually using, as I mentioned before, you just need to keep that prescribed RPE or reps and reserve in mind. And so it guarantees that you're always going to get in range of muscle failure. And I'm going to explain why that's really important once we get to the end of this little section here. Um, now, the issue is, is that if you are in a couple of situations, it's going to be quite difficult to use this sort of model of intensity of effort. The first situation is when you're an inexperienced lifter or you have an inexperienced client. And most people have no idea how far away from failure they actually truly are. So putting someone uh, who is inexperienced, who doesn't have quite a lot of data and experience behind them into a situation like this, where they have to try and guess how many more reps they have in them, often doesn't work that well. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, the, the other method of intensity of load using that is really going to be any more helpful. But it does mean that, you know, strictly prescribing a rep range for someone who is inexperienced with a particular weight is probably your best bet as a coach rather than trying to tell them, hey, I need you to kind of gauge when you're two reps away from failure and then stop. Does take quite a bit of practice to get used to that. And even with quite experienced trainees that I've coached, it often takes quite a bit of time for them to get used to this model if they haven't used it before and to actually work out when they are that far away from failure. Again, people are pretty crap at doing this, to be honest. Um, the, the same study I mentioned before, you know, goes to show that many people who think maybe they're using their 10 rep max for something could actually maybe even do double that amount of reps. And so trying to gauge how far away you are from failure probably wouldn't work too well with people like that. Now, the other situation, of course, is when we have very high rep ranges. So if I gave you something that was really, really heavy and it was your five rep max, it's quite easy to work out when you're close to failure. Uh, we could very easily find that when you've done three reps, I've probably only got one or two more left in me and you could pretty easily work that out. But if we sometimes do higher rep ranges, um, let's say 15, 20, 25, even higher than that, it can be really, really dicey trying to work out how close to failure we are. And again, I'm going to go into why that's important in a second. So, you know, when you, you've probably experienced this quite a lot, when you get close to this, uh, this sort of rep range, it's always like you can kind of squeeze out another rep and sometimes it looks pretty dodgy as well. So this brings to light another issue is when we're talking about failure, are we talking about a breakdown in form? How do we gauge that? Again, that could be subjective. And how do we gauge uh, concentric failure? So it's very rare that someone's going to go to true concentric uh, failure in a squat, for example, something like that. And what I mean by that is that they are pushing as hard as they can and they cannot physically move the weight anymore. Uh, you know, you are very lucky if you ever see that in something like a squat. People are going to quit or go to terrible form well before that happens. So I tend to use, for most movements, a, a major breakdown in form as my line in the sand. But again, that's going to be a bit hard to gauge if you're training by yourself, if you don't have a coach with you, if you're not quite experienced, all that kind of thing. So whereas... 
the intensity of load has this nice objectivity to it because we're just working with numbers. Uh, you know, the intensity of effort does have this sort of subjective factor to it that can affect our results. With that said though, I do think it's very handy and I'm gonna get into why uh, we wanna get close to failure now again. So we know that as a prerequisite to muscle growth, we need to be able to get close to failure. There have been several studies now that I think I've mentioned before in the podcast where uh, getting close to failure, no matter what the actual load being used is, is pretty similar in terms of producing hypertrophic or muscle growth uh, stimulus. And the reason why is because we're trying to put as much mechanical tension across as many fibers as we possibly can. Now, the way it works is via something called the size principle. Basically, what happens is our muscle fibers are switched on or recruited by nerves that are called motor neurons. And we have one motor neuron, one nerve that controls many muscle fibers. And when that motor neuron switches on, it recruits all of the fibers under its control and makes them contract. And those fibers plus that motor neuron together is what we call a motor unit. Now, our brain controls all of this. And when we move, our brain recruits the smallest motor units in the motor unit pool first. And if more force is required, it will progressively recruit larger and larger motor units in an attempt to continue to move a weight. And this makes complete sense, right? Let's say you wanted to pick up a pencil off the, de off the desk. You wouldn't want to use all of your available motor units because you'd simply throw it through the roof. You need some kind of control to your movement. The same thing happens when you get under a weight that is sub-maximal, which is pretty much what we're doing all the time in the gym. If you're lifting a weight that you can lift for 12 reps, it's a sub-maximal load, and your brain's not going to recruit everything you've got from the get-go. Otherwise, you'd throw the dumbbells up through the roof. So we don't recruit everything at once, but as those fibers start to fatigue and fall out of recruitment, they can't keep contracting forever, the brain has to continue to produce the same amount of force. And so the brain has to continue to call on other motor units to keep doing the job of lifting your weight. Eventually, when we get close enough to failure, the brain has recruited and called upon every available motor unit and therefore every available muscle fiber to keep lifting that weight. So this means that if we get close to failure, then by definition, we've recruited every available muscle fiber to help us lift this weight. And it means that every available muscle fiber has experienced tension and has therefore been trained and has a growth stimulus placed upon it. Now, how close to failure do you have to get? I would say it's probably somewhere around four to five reps for to have this sort of maximal recruitment thing happening. Um, that's certainly not a rule. I, I'm not 100% sure. It's probably going to differ a bit between individuals. But on average, I would say to be safe, we probably want to be on average about two or three reps away from failure with most sets. Now, sometimes you might go further away from failure than that. And sometimes you might go closer to failure than that. But that's a nice, happy medium where you can keep good form. You can ensure that all of your motor units have been recruited and you can ensure that you're placing that growth stimulus across all of your muscle fibers. So getting back to RPE and reps in reserve, our uh, uh, load uh, intensity of effort. What we're talking about here is basically no matter what weight you're using, we're trying to get close to failure for that to be a really productive set for muscle growth. This means that as a coach, whether my trainee is doing 
10 reps or 12 reps, I don't really care provided they are, for example, two reps away from failure. It means that when they have a really good day and they come in, they're feeling sharp and they can do more reps, I let them do more reps. They're not bounded by a particular number of reps that I've told them to do on the piece of paper. After all, what's the difference between doing 11 reps and 12 reps? It probably doesn't really matter. If they could do more, why not do more? Uh, so that's one of the advantages of using uh, the intensity of effort. Uh, it also means that you know, perhaps if you're not having such a good day, it doesn't force you to complete reps that you can't handle or recover from. Uh, this is one reason why I really like the intensity of effort model. Now, what I tend to do is combine broad rep ranges and uh, intensity of effort. So I might ask my trainee to do, let's say, 8 to 12 reps, which is quite a broad rep range, um, and stay two reps away from failure. Then they just select a weight that is appropriate for them. It could be on a bench press, for example, 60 kilograms. And, you know, as long as they are two reps away from failure, for me, I don't really care if they're getting 11 reps or if they're getting nine reps. As long as they're two reps away from failure with that load, happy days, it's no drama whatsoever. So it does give a little bit of flexibility, um, but again, it'll, it requires a little bit more uh, subjective input from the trainee in question. Okay, so I'm gonna start to wrap it up here. So essentially, just to summarize everything, intensity of load is a way of describing how much weight we're using, and we tend to use a rep max there, say a 5RM or a percentage of one rep max. And it's, it's really great for giving us an objective way of measuring progress or how much weight we're lifting. But relative intensity for me in a bodybuilding uh, situation is probably the best way to do things. It's a way of describing how close to failure to get with a specific weight. And this takes into account some of the more recent research that shows a variety of rep ranges can work really well for muscle growth. Because our hypertrophy loads can be as light as 30% 1RM, it's really, really easy to accrue a lot of uh, probably useless volume with that. So using a rep range of probably like six to 15 uh, rep max is probably the sweet spot for accumulating volume and getting stronger. And you can always vary those rep ranges over time. And working sets should probably be within sort of four or five reps away from failure. And, and for me, I think an average of around two reps away from failure for hypertrophy work is probably the best way to go because that allows you to still uh, strive to be uh, keep getting stronger without accumulating too much fatigue. So it allows you to add weight to the bar uh, still from session to session, but at the same time, uh, it's quite easy to work out how far away from failure you are. Asking someone to keep five reps in reserve is a bit hard to guess, whereas if we go around two reps in reserve, it's probably quite easy to get. All right, I hope that's given you a little bit of an insight in the way uh, I do things and the way that the literature is going at the moment in terms of working out you know, how do we prescribe how much weight to use on the bar and how many reps to do. Uh, if you've liked this episode, again, please just give it a, uh, a like or a review on whatever platform you're using. And feel free to follow me on my Instagram underscore Luke Tullick. I give out a lot of free information there and I put a lot of infographics and whatnot up as well. If you're interested in any of the upcoming courses, I do have a sign up link over there too. So look forward to that and I'll catch you in the next one.